Joe O'Hanlon, you're an Irish Jesuit, you're a theologian, and you've been writing about the Pope's document, The Joy of Love, Amoris Laetitia. The Pope has now confirmed that he will be coming to Ireland. It's official. I think we all thought he would be, but it's a relief nonetheless, maybe for people, that it has been confirmed. Yeah, I think he'll be very welcome. Um, he's a very charismatic kind of figure. Um, very pastorally engaged. I think the interesting thing will be it's very different from the time the last Pope came. Ireland is now a much more secularised country. The Catholic Church has lost a good deal of its moral authority because of the clerical child sexual abuse scandals and the way they were handled. So it's a very different scenario that he's uh, entering. But I think he will be welcome because he's got a very good reception among secular society as well as within the church. Sometimes more conflicted within the church, curiously enough, that with, than with secular society. So I think it's an opportunity to give him a traditional Irish welcome, but also to allow what he says to permeate at a deeper and not just at a very superficial level. We haven't got great detail but he is Mm. going to be in Croke Park for the Festival of Families which is traditional Mm. and then he's going to say the Mass in the Phoenix Park which as as you'd say it it, it was a different time in a different place when a million people Mm. packed in there to see Mm. John Paul II and a very different Pope as well. Mm. Yeah I'm I'm often reminded when we talk about numbers that remember Aidan Matthews talking about the early church basically 72 disciples, uh, women and men, 12 apostles, very small number. So it's not the numbers, it's the depth, if you like, of the uh, experience and the conversion that's involved. I listened to Joe Schmidt, the manager of the Irish rugby team, on the radio last uh, Sunday, I think it was, and he was talking about the need for more than just an emotional response. He was reacting to the remarks by the English coach, which were derogatory in nature. And he he invoked Aristotle. And he says that virtue or excellence is a habit rather than an act. So it's not a one-off thing. So this should be more than just a celebrity concert, if you like, where people get a momentary buzz and feel good about things. I'd love to see the deeper message that the Pope is proposing. And he has beautiful things to say about love, about sex, about cohabitation, about gay people, about families which are not traditional families, about the economic pressures on marriage, about different stages of marriage. So it would be wonderful to see that message being assimilated by people. And also he got to convey that message because he consulted widely. And he listened to what was being said through the different countries, through the bishops' conferences and then at the Synod. And again, you'd love to see that process, if you like, being reproduced. So not just the Pope speaking from on high, but allowance being made for the experience of real people to be filtered into what the Church thinks and teaches. And some of that, I think, is going on in different parishes. They are Mm. doing teachings in various Mm. ways about the joy of the family, Amoris Laetitia. Mm. Not altogether perfect, marred by significant things. For example, the removal of the gay Mm. picture in the catechesis book Mm. and the Association of Catholic Priests calling on the organisers to explain this, explain why these kind of things are happening, that that inclusivity doesn't seem to be mirrored, the removal of the words of the bishop talking about exactly the Pope's Mm. inclusivity Mm. and his words around those inclusive type of families being Mm. removed from the Mm. interview on the website. So the Pope has a bit of work to do and it could be quite healing if he did it. It'd be wonderful and I think that's the ironic thing, it's the curious thing if you like, that very often the Pope seems to be ahead of local churches and local hierarchies. It used to be that very often Rome was felt to, to be a break on Uh, more 
experience-based teaching. And suddenly we find that the Pope is actually listening very carefully and feeding back. And it was a very interesting thing as part of the consultation for one of the synods which led to that document, The Joy of Love. The Irish bishops very bravely uh, issued the findings of the consultation. And it was that on issues of sexuality and gender, there was very uh, often a disconnect between people's experience and church teaching. And they said, we feel then that our response should be to communicate the teaching more clearly. But in fact, that's one response. And, and obviously, it's, it's good that good teaching is communicated clearly. But the Pope himself went further than that, because at the Synod, he very clearly moved on one issue. It was to do with divorce and remarried. And I'd say wanted to move on others. It's clear from the first draft. So he was allowing the input from people to influence the way he interpreted church teaching and even reformulate church teaching. And I think local hierarchies, including the Irish hierarchy, have been a bit slow to do that. And in that sense, what somebody like Mary McAleese has said, the last referendum on same-sex marriages, there are things in our culture which are coming out that can teach the church. I know there are many things that the church can teach culturally, and I do think even secular people will welcome the fact that this is a very integrated teaching to do with the goodness of sexuality, emotional health, physical health, and it, it avoids the extremes of a sexualization of culture. And that's a good corrective to the culture. But there are also things that the culture can teach the church. And by listening carefully and discerning, we can pick up on that. And that's what the Pope is saying. He's not looking for a one-off occasion, a buzz. He's looking for a much longer game where people would really be listened to, their experience would be listened to. And this is what he calls a synodal church, where we learn how at parish level, at diocesan level, at national level, to really take account of what people are experiencing in their lives and to allow that to affect church teaching. And indeed, in the joy of love in that famous footnote about mm. divorced and remarried Catholics, and if you read that section, it is clear that he mm. is talking precisely about what you're talking about, mm. a, a discussion, reflection, use of conscience. Mm. It met with four dubia, it gave us a yes or no answer, but that mm. does seem to be his method. Also, I, I note when you're talking, the Pope has uh, many agendas, and we know that a lot of them are to do with the poor and with mm. the migrants and with prisoners. Do you think he will get an opportunity to visit maybe a prison or a migrant centre? I would hope so. I mean, so far, there's two events have been advertised, Croke Park and the Phoenix Park. Usually when he goes to countries, he visits a prison. He meets with survivors of clerical child sexual abuse, and it would be uh, a surprise if he didn't do that. I'm sure he will want to do that, and it would be very good if he did do that. It would be wonderful as well if some way was found for him to visit Northern Ireland. I mean, I really think that it was a great pity that it was impossible for John Paul II to do that. I think now... In Northern Ireland itself, it, it would be seen, I think, even by non-Roman Catholics, if you like, as something very positive, that a man who was so much in favour of reconciliation, who had clearly got good relations with other churches, and I'm sure other churches will be very involved in this occasion as well, could be welcomed in Northern Ireland and might give a great boost to the process of, of reconciliation that's still a work to be achieved up in Northern Ireland. And finally, you're a Jesuit, and mm. everywhere the Pope has gone, he has managed to visit mm. a Jesuit community. Mm. Obviously, the Jesuits have no power over this. It is a diocesan mm. event. Mm. But are you hopeful that he might 
make a stop off somewhere to some Jesuit community? Oh, I think it would be wonderful, yeah. I mean, it, it has been said that when he visits countries, he likes to visit young Jesuits in the countries he goes to. Now, there aren't too many young Jesuits in Ireland. We could rustle up a few, all right. But I think it would be a wonderful thing to have half an hour, 40 minutes, an hour with him, a give and take, because I think it would give us inspiration and perhaps we could feed back some stuff to him as well that might be helpful to him. What would you say? I would encourage him strongly to continue with his long-term plan for a more synodal church. I mean, I think other parts of the world, Australia, it was announced today, but I'd heard it a long time ago, are holding a plenary council of the Australian church. There's one going on shortly in the Amazon basin in Brazil. They're looking at very important issues. I think that's the way forward. I think the Irish bishops had a good experience in Rome when they went for their ad limina visit. They came back all enthusiastic that they had just sat around with the Pope there were no speeches and they had debated matters and there was nothing off the agenda. Now, I'd love to see that being replicated in churches all over the world and including in Ireland. And if you could give us a nudge in that direction, I think that would be a more long term project that would lead lasting fruit along the lines of uh, Joe Schmidt's habit of excellence rather than just a one off event that could evaporate very quickly. Yeah, because we have groups like We Are Church, the Association mm. of Catholics in Ireland. Mm. There was a listening process in Down and Connor and mm. we had a big group mm. in Limerick. Mm. So it's not that it can't mm. be done and that there aren't groups there already really, mm. really trying to make mm. their voice heard. I think so. And I think the bishops are, are a little bit afraid that maybe the infrastructure isn't in place. There aren't enough parish councils. There aren't enough diocesan councils. And maybe what do you do after uh, an assembly? How do you follow it up? and so on. I think that all can be solved. I mean, I think the very signal of having a National Assembly would be enough to galvanise parish councils who often feel that they're talking into the dark, if you like. And I think what you do after a National Assembly, you have another one in five years' time or whatever it is. It becomes a normal pattern of church life, a habit in that sense, rather than just a one-off event. And people would know from that that unlike Vatican II, where there were wonderful ideas about collegiality, but there wasn't the institutional, structural, legal backup afterwards. If they could see that happening, and that's clearly what the Pope wants, he said that on more than one occasion, that the church of the third millennium should be a synodal church, and he says it should happen at local level, at national level, and at universal level, the Pope himself. So it'll be a wonderful signal to people, and I think the Irish people are ready for it. And really, the church is in a crisis at the moment, and why not get all hands on deck to solve it rather than relying on several bishops who are very, very hardworking and mean very well, but have too much on their plate, and they really need to call on board everyone, all hands to the pump, I think. 